My name is Jenna, like Scott said, and I really do have the privilege and the joy to bring the word to you this morning. So if you'd like to join me, we're going to be in John 20, starting in verses 30 and going to 31. So let you take a moment to flip there and find it in your Bibles, or it'll be on the screens behind me. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now we're actually going to read this text twice today, so if you'll jump back to verse 30, we're going to read it again. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jenna. Yeah, you read it twice, not because it's short, not because you weren't paying attention, but sometimes things need to be repeated Um, so that we might understand there is some added value or weight in certain moments. Uh, How many of you guys have been watching The Chosen? Anyone been watching that? Yeah, Andrew and I have been. I think we're a little behind right now, but we've been watching it, and it's been really interesting. Um, I have a million thoughts about it, and uh, uh, I I confess I have wept many, 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 many times. Um, The majority of times because I I just, it's, it's good to somehow get a sense that this book that we're looking at is real. And I think that's what that, that provides. It, it brings a, a context or a, a, a reality to it. So instead of the Bible being a number of principles that are being presented, you get to see real people in real time dealing with things. And it's good to remember that that's what's happening. God didn't send a principle. He sent his son And God didn't just give us a book uh, with a list of 50 things that we should know. Instead, the Bible comes to us kind of uniformly, when we look at it kind of holistically, it's a story. It's a story of God's interaction with the world that he created and how that world has responded and how that world should respond. And then we constantly see God's re-engagement with the world. And, and so I think that The Chosen has really helped me appreciate the fact, even though you are aware, right, it's, it's, uh, they've taken some liberties. Are we aware of that? Okay, just want to make sure we're aware of that. Um, if for that reason, I think it can be very, very interesting. It still needs to be qualified and checked, right? So I know that for some of you, you get really, really excited because you're so glad to know that Mary was a two on the Enneagram. That's not what the purpose of the Bible is, is to give us that kind of insight. It's just not. Um, instead, what if I find fascinating about the Gospels, and Andrew and I, when we were watching a recent episode in season three, I began to realize, I think I now know why the gospel writers didn't spend as much time as the chosen does on the outside stories. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying it can be distracting, actually. I know that you're thinking it's sometimes helpful, and I would agree with you. It is sometimes helpful. But it can also be distracting because what the gospels present and what John is drawing uh, specific attention to is that these accounts, these stories that have been put together for you actually have a purpose. 
And it's not so that you could know, and, and I get it, I understand why we want to know what Peter's wife was like. I get it. I'd love to know that. I would love to know more about Jesus' childhood, right? I'd love to know about his teenage years, right? Gospel writers, almost nothing about those things. And we find out why in John's gospel. It's not that it's bad, but it actually can be, at times, distracting. And not all of the information that the Bible presents has the same weight to it. All the Bible is true. But some of the biblical truths need other biblical truths to help support them. And that is why the Gospels, when Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, engages the world, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, stand above and over everything else. They help us understand the Psalms. They help us understand God's promises in Deuteronomy. They help us understand God's restoration ideas that we read about in the book of Isaiah. Jesus and who he is and what he did helps us understand the Old Testament. The, the later letters of the New Testament go back and say, in light of who Jesus is, this is how we should live. In light of what Jesus accomplished, this is how we can celebrate the goodness of God. So all of the Bible seems to fold itself on these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these Gospels are focused on not just the events and circumstances around the life of Jesus, but the life of Jesus. And it's good for us to know that. There's a lot that has been written in terms of like, why are there four different accounts? I I don't know. I really don't. Two of them written by direct uh, eyewitnesses of all of these events, Matthew and John. The other two, Luke and Mark, uh, closely connected to an apostle. Mark through uh, the, 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 the preaching and the teaching of Peter, and Luke through the preaching and the teaching of the apostle Paul. And all of them present an account and Luke and uh, John, for the most part, are the only two that sit down and say, hey, I just want you to know why I'm writing this. I want you to understand what's happening. We're getting near the end of our John series. But as I've been reminded, as I walk through a Bible book, whether that be myself or with a class or as a church, I'm constantly reminded it's not just that we get through a book, but that book gets through us. That somehow by the way that you and I now live and why you and I now worship, you and I now respond to life circumstances because of what John has said. Well, when I eat garlic, my wife says, you've been eating garlic, haven't you? Have you been to Mexico Joe's? I can tell because that salsa is rich. Right? She can tell. And I, I just, I'm, I'm reminded of this. I'll, I'll say this almost through any series that we do. Is anybody accusing you of just looking a lot more like Jesus now? Boy, there's just something about you. I don't know. Have you been reading John? I confess no one said that to me. I kind of wish they would. I really do. I kind of wish that by the way that I'm now acting, they can tell that 
the encounters that Jesus had with Nicodemus have shaped me. The account that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman has somehow molded my thinking. The kind of healing that Jesus provides in John, John 5 and John 9, um, I now have a sense of encouragement. I know what it is like to eat and drink the body and the blood of Christ, and it is changing me because he is the bread of life. He is the water of life. Um, I, have a, I have a joy and a freedom because I have gone through the open door. Um, I, I have a way that I want to share with you because I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by him. We, we, we studied that text. Has that changed anything about how we as a, as a people look at the world in which we engage? Do you go to work differently going, the only way anyone gets to God is through Jesus. Now go take on your day. And so these gospel writers have a purpose. And I, I guess, interestingly enough, I've, I've never been more grateful that they just focus on the life of Christ. Now, now by the way, Luke says information is an important thing. And so I want to just share with you, we went through Luke a number of years ago, and I don't know which gospel we're going to do next. We have now officially, in the last 20 years, we've gone through all four of the gospels. This is the last one. And so we've now gone through all four of the gospels. And we will come back. We will come back. One of my professors said to me, and I think he was talking more personally, but I, I took that, uh, that, uh, that advice into my ministry. He would say to me, always be in a gospel, Jim. Always be in a gospel. And we all know why. Such great pictures of Christ. But Luke explains why he wrote the gospel. And so one of the good reasons why is just to provide important information. Information is not a bad thing. Now, I, I know that we can, um, we, we can just not pay attention to it. It's almost like uh, the manual that came with that thing that you really, I think I can figure it out on my own, which is how I operate almost. I think I can figure out how to build this. I think I can figure out how to start this. I figure I can think about. And then, by the way, I complain when it's not working the way that I want it to do or it's not being built the way that I want it to be built. But there is instructions that come, and Luke says, that's what I'm doing. If you look in Luke chapter 1, you can either turn there or look on the screen. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Luke provides us a, a reason for his gospel. And, and here's what he says, and I believe he is probably speaking about Matthew and Mark. I think he has, as two of his sources, Matthew and Mark. It looks like, I believe that Matthew was written first. Mark takes more of an abridged version of that with the teachings of Peter. And then Luke has both of those and then a number of other eyewitness accounts as he is compiling his account. And here's what Luke says he is actually doing. Many, verse 1, many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us. Just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us, they, the early church felt an obligation, if this is who Jesus is, and this is what Jesus did, it must be told. It must be remembered. And so Luke is now recording these things. So it also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first Luke's purpose, to write to you, this is, we'll find out his name is Theophilus, God lover is kind of how you would translate that, to write to you an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus. Why? 
so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. Basically, there's going to be parts of this story. There's going to be some things that are going to be difficult for you to understand, be difficult for you to comprehend, difficult for you to believe. And so I have set out to compile these things in an orderly sequence so that you can have a greater sense of certainty. Now, what's interesting is, is that that idea of certainty, that idea of having like my, my convictions or my beliefs strengthened really only matters if it matters. I don't know how important it is that I convince you with certainty about things that don't matter. But if they matter, then I need you, I want you, I desire that you understand this and then begin to live from those premises. And what Luke is saying here is that his gospel, the 24 chapters that he writes, and then the the second part to that, the book of Acts, matters. And And so I want you to have increased certainty. Now, one of the reasons why he might want Theophilus to have that is because life is hard. Because circumstances are difficult. And he's beginning to wonder, is what I believed a number of years ago, is that still true? Or or does that still matter? How long have you been following Jesus? How many years since you made a decision? And I, I think it's good at moments like this as we're coming to the close of a gospel to go back and to remember what it was that brought me to him, what, what kind of convictions I had, and I don't just want to like stir them up again and, and, and try to remember the passion that we had at first. I am far more passionate today than I was when I was 12 years old when I accepted Christ. I am much more convinced today than I have ever been on the reality of Jesus and the goodness of God. So I'm not trying to, to bring back feelings. I'm trying to remember that that what I committed my life to is still worth committing my life to. And it's a good exercise that we might have. And it seems like that's what Luke is doing, and that is why he is providing information. And when I say that, please just don't think information. Think life-changing events, um, life-altering occasions in which God put on human flesh so that he might redeem a broken world. It's, it's that kind of magnitude that the apostle, uh, or, or sorry, that Luke desires for his audience to get a sense of. And the apostle John is, is going to kind of continue that theme. He does it, it, it kind of in a similar fashion. You get a sense in, in terms of what Jenna read that what's going on is really important. But I want you to see that what, what John is doing is a little bit different than, um, it's a little bit, or it's explained a little bit different than what Luke says. Luke says, I want to increase the certainty that you might have. And so here's how I've in, investigated it. And here's what is going on. What John essentially says, as we read this morning, is that there's something happening in the life of Jesus Christ that makes himself known and you need to have the eyes to see, and you need to have the heart to respond to that. And here's how he describes it. I want us to go back and look at verse 30. This is what John says. Jesus performed many other signs, and that's an important word in John's gospel. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. 
So we, we all know this probably, that uh, the, the, the book of the Bible does not tell every story about God. I, I like to remind people that if you're going and you're beginning in Genesis chapter 1, we, we don't know when that actually began. It's literally, they just say, in the beginning, right? So I, don't, I have no idea how long it is. Let's just say it's been a long time. Adam. And then it's hard to know, but it might be roughly between Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 6, roughly 2,000 years. Noah. And then from the time of Noah to the time of Abraham, roughly 2,000 years. We're in Genesis 12. And then everything radically slows down. Not all the information is there. The information that is most pertinent And that's why I don't think we should be surprised that when it comes to the life of Jesus Christ, everything really slows down. What what is going on here? And what, what John says is that when Jesus Christ comes, he is demonstrating the reality of who he is through signs. Signs. Um, You mean miracles? Sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. There is a miraculous element to them. But, but what we see in Jesus Christ, and we've got to deal with this before we leave the gospel, it, it, some, some scholars even wonder, it sounds like John is ending at the end of chapter 20. It sounds like he's done, and we've got one more chapter left. We're going to come back, and we're going to see the reinstatement of Peter. We're going to see some engagements that he's going to have with the disciples. And then Jesus is going to ascend. So here we have almost like a it's like a preacher, a conclusion before he concludes. You know what I'm talking about? I say in conclusion, but you go, he's got 20 minutes, right? That's what's happening here. Is, is John is, 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 it seems like he's taking a break. He's drawing a line under it. And he is saying, listen, like, I need us to remember that Jesus did many other signs. This book isn't trying to get all of them. Go read Matthew. Go read Mark. Go read Luke. And even if you read them, there's more that he did that we have not recorded here. But they're signs, and you need to see them as signs, which means that when Jesus Christ came and how God operates in the world is this, he makes himself known to those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. That's what the Bible clearly teaches, that God comes and he makes himself known For those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Now, that can really get interesting to try to unpack. And it's not the purpose of this lesson to try to unpack all of that. But that is foundationally true. There is something that you need to do this morning with the information that we have learned about Jesus Christ. There are moments in our lives when decisions need to be made. When he gets on his knee and he literally says, will you marry me? You can't say, "Um, can I get back to you in five years? Hear me, you might need some time to think about it. I get it. You want the evening to think about it. You want the weekend to think about it. You want a week to pray about it. I understand all of those things. But after some point in time, a decision needs to be made. This can't go on inevitably. And I want you to hear, brother and sister, this morning that we have now been preaching through the Gospel of John for a long time. And God has presented himself in Jesus Christ in many and various ways. He has demonstrated through signs 
who Jesus Christ is. And for those who have ears to hear, for those who have eyes to see who Jesus Christ is, may we respond. I want to share with you, just, I'm just going to kind of throw this up, it's one slide. These are what, what, what people believe are the great seven signs that are found. John loves seven, this, this, this number of completion. It's interesting because many of these things are, are only found in John's gospel. The only one that's found in the other ones is the fourth one, the feeding of the 5,000. The other ones are all unique to John. And John literally presents, and they're not all the ones, there's others. Go read Luke, go read Matthew, go read Mark. But he says, I want you to know that these are the signs that Jesus Christ demonstrated who he was with clarity and with purpose. If you have eyes to see and if you have ears to hear. That when he changed the water to wine, when he healed the official's son, when he healed the man at Bethesda who had been lame, when his friends could not, when he fed the 5,000 and then after that said, I am the bread of life that has come down out of heaven. And unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And they say, this is a tough teaching. And then Jesus turns to his disciples at this critical moment when a lot of people leave like, really, you want us to, to totally, I think they understood what Jesus was saying. Here's what Jesus is saying. You need to deal with who I am. You need to come to grips with who I am. Because unless you, like, the, the word there, to eat his flesh, is, it means, like, to devour it. This is why I, I don't know how someone can passively or in a part-time way live and respond to the gospel. Time will wear you down. Your convictions aren't that strong. Life is too hard. You know that it is. Unless you eat my flesh, unless you drink my blood, unless you understand the value of me and consume me like this, you will not find life. You will not find purpose. You will not find God. God is not trying in heaven to somehow just win your affections by making himself known to you. But in his profound love, he has demonstrated, I think clearly, who he is in Jesus. I love this line. It's found in John's gospel. The disciples say to him in John 14, will you show us the Father? Will you show us God? Do you remember what Jesus says? Listen, if you're, I want to see God. I so desperately want to see God. John gives us him. Jesus actually says, if you have seen me, actually he says, have I been with you this long and you still don't get it? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Wow. So you're telling me, like if I know who Jesus is, then I know who God is? Actually, if you don't know who Jesus is, and I mean no, like voraciously eating, passionately devouring, all-consuming power and energy. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if you do know who God is. Like, I don't know if you know that. 
That's what John is presenting here. That's what Jesus is saying. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on water, which is, is not just, hey, I want to show you a really cool trick, and I also do a thing with cards. That's not what Jesus is doing. Demonstrating his power over nature. Jesus heals a blind man, and, and it's funny because the, the narrative, they love to point out over and over again, by the way, he was born blind. Like somehow that really changes things, but they are, they are fascinated. This is a man who was born blind, never before. Have we ever seen anybody help someone see who, who was born blind? And Jesus is demonstrating who he is. And then, and, and then probably one of my favorite encounters, and, and it's the words afterwards that blow, me, blow my mind. Um, the fact that Jesus can do any miracle is, to me is a sign that he is other. God in flesh. But when Jesus looks at Mary and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Like, you're looking for a resurrection. You're looking for life. Like, you're looking for life beyond this life. I guarantee you, at some level. And if not, you just haven't experienced life enough or you haven't been in that stage of life. But if you truly have experienced life, you know there's got to be more. And I long for that day. We talk a lot about heaven. We talk a lot about the next life. And Jesus takes all of that language and he says, no, 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 there there will be a resurrection. I am the resurrection. I am life. Hmm. These are the signs that Jesus gives so that people would know to respond. Now, the, the difficult part and, and I have a whole list of them. I'm not going to go through all of them, and they're not actually going to be on the screen. But if, if you have your Bible, I want you to look at a couple of these. Um, I, I just think it's important for us to be very honest about the journey of faith that we find ourselves in. Because what I've said so far is this, is that God has demonstrated who he is in Jesus Christ, and that demonstration demands a response. And maybe you have responded, but maybe you haven't. And by the way, I'm not just talking about like an invitation to join Jesus. I'm talking about a renewed conviction in the journey. I'm talking about that the fact that, um, I love this, I needed to hear the gospel when I didn't know I needed God. And now that I know who God is and all that God has done, I need to hear the gospel again. I need to hear over and over again the goodness of God. So I'm not just speaking to those in this room who have not yet intentionally given their life to Jesus Christ because he is worth it. I'm actually speaking to all of us. Whether you've been following Jesus for five or 50 years, whether you are in your journey in a moment of great joy or maybe a great a, a, a dryness or a longing or an emptiness for, for I don't know the reason. You, you, you might not even know the reason. May we find in Jesus um, the life-sustaining water. May we find in Jesus the door that opens the way. May we find in Jesus the life that he promises. But it still requires eyes to see and ears to hear. It's interesting, in John chapter 2, verse 18, you can either write these down or look at them. 
In John chapter 2, verse 18, Jesus has just cleansed the temple. And he, by the way, he's already, he's already done the, the water to wine, but I get that not everybody saw that, right? Only a few were there at that particular miracle. But the, then he goes and he cleanses the temple. He goes in and overturns tables and says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. And in that moment, they say to him, look at verse 18. The Jews replied to him, what sign will you show us for doing these things? Who do you think you are? That's essentially what they're saying. What sign can you show us? It's interesting, he's already done water to wine, and there's many other signs that are going to come, but can you get the resistance? What sign are you going to show us? And I, I promise you there are people in this room that, that have that mentality. If God would just demonstrate himself, if God would just, if God would just, it's a, it's a human response. I'm just telling you, there is not just something about humility like it's a virtue. It is the gatekeeper or the door to understanding who God is and receiving his blessings. Because Jesus is going to overwhelm these people with miracle after miracle, demonstration after demonstration. And those who want to see will see. And those who do not want to see will just find excuses to not see. We, we say at our church that one of our responsibilities is to help people understand their current spiritual condition and take responsibility for their next steps of faith. Let me say that again. To help people understand their current spiritual condition. And I don't know who I'm speaking to this morning, but I, I, I have had, the, had this week as I've been preparing for this, like a deep sense of conviction. Are you aware, for those of you that this may fall on you, are you aware that some of you are, are refusing to not believe? That the signs have been demonstrated, the truth about Jesus is made known, and you continue to kick the can down the road, you continue to not deal with these things? I would argue that. Maybe you think that you have intellectually, emotionally uh, responded to some of these things and it hasn't been with faith. I'm, I'm asking you again to consider the reality of who Jesus Christ is. There are those that look at what Jesus does and just says, what sign will you show us? In chapter 4, verse 48, Jesus actually says to them, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. This might even explain a little bit why um, just recently with, with Thomas, Jesus actually said to him, blessed are you, Thomas, because you saw and you believed, but blessed are those who do not see like with their eyes and yet somehow see. What Jesus is saying here, which I hope provides even comfort for those of us who genuinely believe these truths, Jesus actually points out, yeah, there are some that unless they see something, they will not believe it. Jesus then says in chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus actually says after the feeding of the 5,000, I love this. By the way, all these words are kind of Connected, or all these, uh, these phrases, these, these verses of scripture are all connected by the use of the word signs. 
Jesus says in chapter 6, verse 26, Truly I tell you that you are looking for me. After he fed them, they pursued him. And Jesus says, You are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. What he's saying there is, is that you, you still you saw the sign of what I did, but you didn't actually believe the sign. Because actually, weirdly enough, you're here for more food. You're here for more food. You're not here for me. And, and can I tell you, that is why it is so important that you and I are in a constant faith journey in which we realize that we are here not just to receive the benefits of God, not just to figure out how to have the best life now, not just so that you and I can learn some life skills so that we can raise our children a little bit better or or organize our finances or just be a well-rounded individual. No. We are here because Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be, the Son of God, and there is no hope and there is no peace except through him. And we are not here because somehow he makes life better. But we are here to worship him and to honor him and to serve him. Because he himself is better than life. Do you see the difference? You came not because you saw the sign and it clicked. You saw the sign and now you want to try to work the system. I hope and I pray that our walking through the Gospel of John has really challenged and encouraged you to not just see some um, life tips, but to realize without fully embracing, without fully pursuing, without fully engaging, without fully responding to who Jesus Christ is, like there is no life and there is no hope and there is no peace. It comes down to this. Who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ accomplished demands a response from you today. Who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done on the cross demands a response from us today. Here is what we heard twice this morning. John says, verse 31, but these things are written not even so that you can be certain. No, John, it's almost like he takes a step back and says, before we even get to that certainty, I want you to know these things are written so that you may believe, so that you might have faith, so that you might trust so that you might reorient your life to deal with who Jesus Christ is. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That means the anointed one of God. The one who came to accomplish God's purposes in the world. The one through whom and by whom we all only have peace with God. Through what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. That you might believe in that. That he is the son of God. And that by believing that you may have life in his name. And so I'm going to ask you. Do you believe? I think the majority of us would say, yeah, like I, I believed a long time ago. 
then it would be good for us to spend some moments and time to rethink what that is going to mean and how that should orient us. But there's just no way that there's not a number of people in this room who have never fully given their life over to Jesus Christ. And I would ask you, in light of what we have seen in 20 chapters of John's gospel, what more could God do for us? What more could Jesus Christ demonstrate? Do not just kick the can down the road. Do not delay a decision that needs to be made today. But engage Jesus Christ. The reality of who he is. The fullness of who he is. With all of that you are. And I think that's why it's good for us on a regular basis to engage communion. We, we just had a, a membership class recently and we asked this question, what's new about Sunnybrook? And this is probably the number one response we get. Man, you guys take communion a lot. Every week. And I can tell you, here's why we do it. We take communion every week because that's what the early church did. As often as they gathered together, the book of Acts says. Sure. Honestly, that's not why I take it. Every week. I mean, that's a good example, but there's lots of examples that we could get from the book of Acts that we don't follow. Right? By the way, Stephen ministers, you do know what ultimately happened to Stephen, right? Okay, no, just check it. Because there's parts of the Stephen story that, you know, we, we really, really like. He was caring for others, and then, then they stoned him. But you have parts of the Bible that are in it. What I love about communion is this is what demonstrates who Jesus Christ is, why he came, and what he accomplished. Maybe that's why it's in the middle of the, mirror, or middle of the signs. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. Because what my flesh and what my blood accomplished for you is the only thing that can save you. And so Jesus says to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed when they were alone, as they are partaking of the Passover, this is my body, and he gave it to each of them and said, I want to take it and I want you to eat this. This is who I am. And that is what we remember this morning. That is what we take joy in. Let us eat and drink. Let us eat this morning together. Now let us drink. Let us take the cup. The promise of our redemption and our forgiveness. Let us drink. And now by the goodness of God, let us stand and respond by singing words of hope and truth and faith as we reflect on more of what God has done for us in Jesus. This song is a continuation of that invitation.